0: Welcome to the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brennan Isendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about configuration management. And joining us in this discussion are two special guests, Greg Arnett and Matt Conway, both of CloudTruth, a Boston-area startup focused on configuration management. We would like to thank 42Lines for sponsoring this episode. 42Lines
1: is a DevOps consulting firm specializing in observability, cloud migrations, reliability, cost control, security practices, and team mentoring. Does your monitoring stack provide the business with key performance indicator alerting? Find out how with 42lines.net.
2: So, Matt and Greg, can you introduce yourselves? Sure. Hi, this is Greg Arnett. Thank you for inviting us onto the podcast, and I am the co-founder and CEO for Cloud Truth. Hi,
3: this is Matt Conway. i uh, known Greg for a long while. Uh, you know, always been interested in configuration management and technology in general. Um I'm the CTO and co founder of Cloud Truth and thanks for having us here today.
0: Of course. So when you say configuration management, um what is it to you? What when you when you say that, what do you mean by it and why is it important? Like what is the why do you this get you out of bed in the morning?
3: <laughs> yeah, so configuration management means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, you know. Uh, if you've been in the industry for a while, you hear the words configuration management and immediately your brain is and you run away. But that's not how I think about it. Uh, how I think about it in general is it's a tool or a set of processes that help me get a big picture of what my system is uh, set up to do. Uh, it also is something that helps me not repeat myself. I hate repeating myself. Probably why I'm a software engineer. Yeah. But. <laughs> you know so keeping you know with configuration man what's that keeping it dry keeping it dry very important so configuration management kind of helps you do that um you know you if you think of your system as one big function right uh which has a lot of inputs it does something and it has some outputs uh, what you feed into those inputs is my idea of what configuration management is I, by taking a look at those inputs i have an idea of what you know, what my system is supposed to be doing. Um, and by managing those inputs in a, in a rigorous manner, keeping them versioned, making sure I know who changed what, when, things like that, then I can avoid repeating myself. That's 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 how I tend to think about it. How do I manage the inputs to my system? Keep on top of the state of my system as a whole.
0: Excellent. I, I completely agree that configuration management is an essential tool, um, but I always have trouble describing it to people in terms of like, talking about the why of it. So, that's a that's a handy intro.
2: It's it's definitely at the core of almost everything we do now related to usage of the cloud, considering it, you know, everything is sort of X as code these days. We've gone into the infrastructure as code realm and it's sort of um, what we've seen kind of in our surveys and research around what challenges customers are faced with using good configuration management principles to configure their cloud infrastructure, configure their applications that live on top of that infrastructure, um, do a level of secrets management, is that the cloud is much more complex than it was five years ago, 10 years ago. Um, The the state of new offerings from Amazon, Azure, Google, the major providers, um, just keeps adding to that complexity. The new architectures that are being used, whether it's sort of a container slash Kubernetes approach or serverless or hybrid or multi-cloud. There's so many new dimensions that need to be managed from a configuration settings point of view. We thought that it was time to take a look at this problem from a different perspective and, and kind of invert the problem from sort of, it's a collection of bottom up tools that are being used to configure different aspects of an environment to perhaps a new thinking around, sort of take it and look top down Um, aggregate and orchestrate those tools, not try to displace them, but work with the the, uh, environments that customers have already made commitments to and try to solve a problem that we learned in speaking to nearly 200 cloud technology engineering thought leaders, and we heard over and over that um, configuration management was often uh, at the core of really good security and reliability, such as when we did sort of... You know, a root cause analysis of recent um, unplanned outages, it turned out more often than not it was a config setting that made its way into production and shouldn't have. So that we kept hearing these signals in our research and thought, okay, this is time to take a fresh approach to this discipline. And that's uh, one of some of the genesis thinking around cloud truth.
1: So I'm really familiar with Terraform and a little bit with Argo CD. Um, as far as the tools I use to keep my cloud environments in the, the state that I want them to be in. Uh, how does your product sort of relate to that? Or where does it fit?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, uh, you know, our goal is to let you keep using the tools you're using. Um, however, you know, the, the landscape's always changing, uh, and there is no one tool out there that does everything. People many times try and have this single source of truth that fully defines their system, and very quickly that breaks down. Trying to use Terraform to drive everything, uh, you know, you, you run into all these edge cases that you spend many many hours trying to work around to make Terraform your source of truth, uh, and <laughs> eventually you you just end up you know bumping out to uh, a script somewhere that just does it for you because it's just too much of a battle that you don't have the time to fight right now. Uh, but you know, uh, as, as systems scale up in terms of number of components, number of teams, and people working on them, um, you know, you end up with uh, basically a data sharing problem, right? So, you know, you may have, say, Terraform defining your core infrastructure, uh, but you're also using some apps that might be serverless in nature, or some other apps that may be Kubernetes, and you might have some legacy stuff over there in the corner. Um, And, it becomes very difficult to share configuration data across all of those, especially as that configuration data gets updated in one corner and needs to propagate to all the others. So what we're trying to do is, is basically give you a way to, um, you know, aggregate these sources of truth of your system, uh, with respect to the configuration data that drives each of those components. Bring that up to a higher level and then allow you to push it back down again so you end up with this configuration data bus um, where you know cloud truth is acting as your uh intelligent agent or proxy sre or something uh and it's <clears throat> it's helping you pull the configuration data from each of the systems um aggregating that giving you versioned uh you know a versioned access to it and then also giving you visibility into how things change over time and then also allowing you to drive that back out again. So, you know, if you're over in Terraform and I don't know as a, as a, a silly example uh, say you change your domain name, name or something, or you decide to create a, uh, a new route 53 zone. Now you have this uh, route 53 zone and there's a zone ID, uh, but your application over there in the other corner needs that zone ID in order to you know, set up some host names in there for its, you know, its normal runtime. How do you get that data from the the Terraform state over to this other application that may not know anything about Terraform? Why should the Terraform itself need to know about that application, right? So how do you share that data in a decoupled way? Um, And, you know, that's kind of what we're trying to achieve. So I, re- I
0: really like that approach because, as listeners to this podcast will know, we always recommend people deploy the tool that fits the job. We, I never want somebody to say, "Oh, we're going to put everything in Terraform, or we're going to put everything into Azure, or we're going to put or, sorry uh, Lambda. Or we're going to put everything into whichever serverless platform is next because it doesn't fit. You, you can't have a single tool that actually does all of the configurations and all of the deployments and all of the scripting and all the orchestrations that you want. It, the, Tools don't work that way, so as much as we would like them to, yeah. And I've had that fight over and over and over again, especially with management who have been sold on the oh well, this this one thing will solve all of our problems. And it's like, yeah, well, it solves a whole category of problems, and that's great. But we have like twelve categories of problems to solve, so not quite.
1: And I definitely see Terraform in that that range today, where it's the cloud management tool that solves all of your problems, provided. That you can accept completely throwing out any semblance of the advanced configuration management we used to have uh, back in the data center.
3: Exactly. It's um, you know, it's, uh, I'm a very practical person. Uh, I like practical approaches to solving my problems, um, and you know, having a, a single single source of truth is anything but practical.
4: Given that we used to always, you know, I I was a very early adopter of Puppet because there was, but Howard, you know obviously you're using other sources and you know, a number of sources, you know, how, how has the landscape changed from, you know, the single instance of puppet managing everything to you've got so much out there.
3: it depends a lot on the company, right? Um, you know, if you're a, a young company that's just getting started, uh, you don't really have much legacy stuff to deal with. You may be jumping both feet into the serverless world. Um, uh, or even like the Kubernetes world if you're, you know, on uh, GCE. Uh, So you're you're not dealing with the puppets and chefs. Uh, If the company's been around for a while, they probably have a lot of legacy things lying around. And it's somewhat of an archaeological dig with all the different layers of infrastructure, right? And that alone is a a problem worth solving, Uh, you know, be able to give people a handle on, you know, what configuration goes to what layer, Right. Uh, but if you're, if you're fairly young and, you know, you're defining you're, you're your whole stack, um, you probably don't have this class of problem. Um, you know, it, it depends how complicated your application is as well. If you have a lot of components, a lot of architecture, and you're trying to keep everything decoupled, you might have this problem, right? You know, how do you, how do you keep your, your Terraform uh, ops repo decoupled from your application repo and yet still share the data that needs to be shared between them? um uh, not sure if that answers your question but that's kind of how i see it
0: Yeah, like i, I see terraform yeah, is yeah. an amazing tool for doing infrastructure deployments but a really terrible tool for doing orchestration and then or yeah. application deployments yeah yeah but like <laughs> ansible can do a really good job of those pieces and yeah it can deploy your your cloud resources but it's not really great at it i mean you can suffer through it but there there are better tools for that so
2: yeah so the uh the first wave of you think sort of we're the third wave of modern cloud configuration management tooling and this doesn't take into consideration there was a whole configuration world before the cloud with you know net iqs of the world and and those microsoft systems sms um, all kinds of different technologies that were that still are very popular in the in the enterprise in terms of uh, configuring images or rolling out you know new windows desktops that kind of thing but so starting around 2006, 2007 with the advent of Amazon Web Services and the first kind of really truly as to go public cloud environments, uh, the configuration tools of those days were the consoles from the vendors or, you know, Capistrano to roll out a, a web app, and it was very immature. Um, just a few years later, then you see the first generation of the independent tools, so Chef Emerges. Um, Puppet and Ansible get retooled for managing the, the world of cloud, where you think about ephemeral infrastructure and um, don't don't treat your servers as pets, but treat them as cattle. Um, kind of a crass thing, but it's sort of the the that myth mindset was starting to take hold. And then HashiCorp or Terraform and um, you know infrastructure as code is becoming widely accepted during this phase. But customers are still trying to sort of focus down on fewer tools and more, but as Matt said, um, and we found this when we did our big survey, is most organizations have uh, uh, the requirement for an archaeological dig to go through all the various layers of tools that were implemented by different regimes of you know, architects and engineering leaders, and customers are kind of scared to pull things out. They just don't know how it's all kind of entwined and what their ramifications are, so they suffer through that.
0: By far, the and. hardest challenge in this business is turning things off. By far, for me, the, yeah. the most difficult yeah. thing is saying, "Okay, this service is going away. Everybody, cool. We're all good. We, we can turn it off now." Because that, that takes months or years to to get people to actually sign off on. I've stopped using it. There's nothing else of importance in it. We don't we don't need to keep a copy around just in case anymore. No, it, it takes forever to turn things off.
2: Exactly. So customers need a. You know coexistence strategy with rolling out new enabling technologies and that was one of the guardrails that we set up around our project is we didn't want to try to go and build a what would be considered a terraform replacement or something of what kind of what Pulumi is trying to do with their you know one config stack rules at all kind of approach but rather do the orchestration as an independent additional tool in that tool chain and sort of take that path and that's that's the that's the journey that we're on. So,
0: so, it's so how are exciting. you? How are you approaching that problem? Because like every every one of these tools has its own API, its own configuration language, its own syntax, its own, its own everything. How do you how do you approach that?
2: I'll let I'll let Matt weigh in
3: on. <clears throat> yeah. So you know, it's uh, sorry, Greg. Uh, yeah. The basically, they you know, we're trying to create a layer above. Right, the tools that you use, and you know, to start, uh, what we think is a reasonable approach is effectively allowing, uh, effectively providing you with a uh, combined parameters and, and secret store. You know, something like an AWS Parameter Store or a Console and Vault combined uh, into a into a SaaS service. Uh, but above and beyond that, uh, setting that up in such a way that you can point it at different sources of data. So, for example. You have a Terraform state file in S3, so you can have that as a data source. You have a bunch of YAML files and a bunch of different GitHub repositories. Those are all different data sources. You might have some data in a database somewhere, or you know, when I say database, it could be some other parameter store, or you know, um, uh, even like an application database that you want to pull into your configuration system. And then you know, giving the user a way to aggregate all those sources of data into this cloud truth parameter store and then choose uh, how that gets orchestrated back out back down to the leaf nodes so you know you could say all right <clears throat> you know i run terraform the state files gets updated now there's this you know vpc id in the state file i can pull that out into the parameter store and then push that into the uh, you know the YAML files that I'm using for my Kubernetes setup, for example. So basically, if you think of it as a this this data above that's this data bus that's sitting above um, all the various data sources and tools that you're using, and allowing that data to flow back down uh, wherever it needs to go, uh, wherever you direct it to go, I should say. Um, that's that's what we're doing for our I guess MVP first pass. And then longer term, um, <clears throat> you know, since that's mostly focused on the inputs to the systems and the outputs from the systems, if you think of each each of your systems, be it an application component or an infrastructure component, that they have inputs and outputs. Uh, Terraform, you know, you might be this, this TFVARS file that you populate in some form or fashion, or it might be fetching data from some parameter store somewhere, console or vault, <clears throat> but then it also has outputs. Um, you know, it has outputs like the all the resources it creates. They all have IDs, or they all have you know various attributes that you fetch and, and reuse elsewhere. Being able to fetch those outputs and then feed them back into the inputs of somewhere else. That's kind of what we're doing. Um, <laughs> uh, it's you know still a work in progress. I'm sure we'll find many problems with with our approach. Uh, but that's that's what a startup's all about, right? You, you pick a starting <laughs> point in a direction and you
2: go as fast as you
3: humanly possible.
2: Test and test and test along the way.
3: <laughs> yeah, test and test and test. You know, we would like to throw some, some AI at the problem too, you know, by <clears throat> aggregating all this data, you know, being able to give you insights like, okay, uh, whenever this variable changes, the system goes down. Maybe we should stop people from changing this variable. Uh, or... You know, being able to you know feed data back in from various observability systems uh, to help us determine what uh, configuration changes or values might be optimal for a certain situation, as well as maybe you know actually digging deeper into more than just the the inputs uh, and actually understanding the I guess you could call it the code as well, like the Terraform code rather than just the Terraform just the inputs being fed into Terraform, to be able to give you, you know, more insight as to, you know, how your system fits together and is working, uh, that's, that's a little further out.
0: Yeah, the, the four of us regular hosts, um, Jack, Jared, Ken, and I have been, we, we have run observability systems at scale, and there's always been a challenge associated with getting usable data back out. It's like, yeah, there's a, configure, there's a query interface. You can go ask questions, but how do you automate the extraction of useful information for other systems to, to consume in a, a pragmatic and programmatic way? And being able to tie into common systems um, for anything, for any other kind of class of machines. Like, I, I would love to be able to have a Kubernetes um, awareness check, like the, either the, the health check or whatever, also be able to look at logs from other parts of the system you know, via, say, Elasticsearch, or look at other metrics that are not just pod local or container local, but look at other infrastructure pieces. But there's no real unified way to do that, and it means that everybody has to roll their own and invent their own every time, and that's really frustrating.
2: The, uh, the notion that teams are creating sort of do-it-yourself uh, do bespoke tools to address some aspect of configuration or orchestration was a strong signal that we heard in our research. We encountered numerous teams that described to us having built a tool to address some aspect of coordinating, as Matt said, the inputs and outputs between the different systems that are managing the various aspects of configuration. So that was a sort of a, a light bulb moment for us is, okay, if customers are willing to invest their precious time and resources on this, there must be a problem to solve. What's the right entry point to get there? We have... Kind of platform ambitions. We want, to, we want to be a configuration data lake, um, so to speak, where we could then provide all that upside analysis. But how do you get there? Is to start off with a wedge set of functionality. So this concept of a combined parameter store with secrets management, uh, with support for different environments and some other um, sort of more creative uh, capabilities around manipulating of the parameters is how we're going to enter the market and that's what we're testing right now with um, a set of um, early adopter um, prospects
4: i mean if you're taking all that data from all those things one of the things that i've recently gotten bit with multiple times is and it's very specific to terraform was dependency trees that you know everybody's sharing remote state files but you don't necessarily know that it changed when you're not running it constantly
3: Exactly, and you know, everybody always says, "Oh, I'm using Terraform. I don't have to worry about dependency trees." And that's just not true because, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, know, you don't run yeah. an analytic Terraform. You keep right? thinking <laughs> that, <laughs> right? You you tend to have like, you know, I've seen custo- or you know, uh, I've seen other people using like, you know, they'll have like a centralized Terraform repository, which in and of itself might have, you know, you know, five or six different state files. Got fireworks going on over here. if you Hear any noise? I'm <laughs> not sure why there are fireworks going on over here. But... Yeah.
4: Those are impressive
3: fireworks. Yeah, they
4: are. Nice. Uh,
3: but then they, they also have, like, you know, Terraform embedded in all the application repositories as well, which with their own state files. And then it's not just, you know, one state file per application. It's, like, three or four or five of them because each application runs in multiple environments, so... You know, you get this, this uh, matrix multiply going on and it uh, becomes really hard to keep on top of your system when, you know, one changes and you want to know, you know, you want to know if, if I change this input, which of my systems does it affect before I change it? <laughs> uh, oh, the right. tangled webs we that weave. Kind of That's the kind of question we want to be able to answer. So, um, you know, being able to say, yes, if you change this, this will require all your applications to redeploy you know you need to redeploy them in this order. Uh, very useful information to have.
1: So y'all y'all mentioned um i guess support for various types of configuration man- management systems uh also mentioned uh you know uh local config management systems or systems that are outside of the cloud infrastructure. I'm wondering have you re- come across home grown configuration systems so something similar to puppet or cf engine but has been custom written? And do you support that, or how have you had to integrate that into your uh, application?
2: We haven't come across uh, anything that more homegrown than a series of, you know, bash scripts linked together and, and doing, you know, things of that nature, uh, kind of rudimentary. Um, we're, you know, we're, we're technically not in market yet. We're going through a private beta period uh, very shortly, and uh, we t- expect to have a much wider, you know, c- engagement with the audience um, after that and expect to see um, potential opportunities for integration and custom data exchanges um, as we uh, encounter different environments, but nothing homegrown as of yet. We have seen some examples of tools that, as I mentioned before, um, sort of in that category of of bespoke uh, for that custom environment that we're doing some aspect of config, uh, maybe deploying um, application settings centrally. Uh, for um, you know, convenience and so forth, but um, nothing as extensive as what we're planning at uh, this time.
3: Yeah, I think with the with the breadth of tools available these days, most of the uh, the homegrown bespoke stuff is is more around orchestrating those tools than anything. Um, so you know, helping people, you know, do their deploys or run those tools in some CI CD pipeline or something. The, the way we plan to integrate with things like that is, you know, since we can, uh, we can source data, you know, if it's a YAML file or a JSON file, we can source it hopefully wherever it lives. Um, you know, most of that will be in say GitHub or, uh, you know, a file system somewhere, or, you know, probably in like a object store like S3, um, we'd be able to source that. Uh, and then on the output side, uh, we're still playing with that. Um, you know, there's a number of ways we could do it. We could, uh, trigger CI, CD systems and feed them data. Uh, we could write files out to, you know, the same places we source the data from, be it, uh, (coughs) you know, S3 or, you know, even do commits back to GitHub if, if that's what we prefer. Uh, we're not quite sure what people want yet in that respect. So we're going to you know, start playing with the what makes sense for people. I mean if, if you can if you can write configuration back to GitHub, that's that makes life a lot easier because then you can kind of just fit into the whole CI C D pipeline with a commit causing that to happen. Uh, but I'm not sure if people actually want that to happen in their systems.
1: So I've got an example for you guys and maybe you could sort of walk me through how you might envision this problem. One of the clients I used to work for uh, was very cloud forward and cloud native and really very much believed in images are immutable, services are immutable, uh, servers are definitely cattle or instances are definitely mm-hmm. cattle. And there was no configuration management. Everything was immutable, so you make your changes in the configuration in your container image. You ran that through your continuous deployment system that got somehow deployed on the machine instance, and there your application started with this new configuration, right? I basically wrote my own custom tool, um, which allowed each user, each owner of a Prometheus uh, instance container to have their own configuration, and the tool would verify and push that configuration um, into a a GCS or S3 bucket, and a... Uh, daemon on the prometheus machine instance that ran as a sidecar would see that update suck down the new configuration and tell prometheus just to reload and that way you got your prometheus alert rule configuration changes pushed out and affected in like 30 seconds and i don't really like writing my own tools for that kind of situation but I've done it a second time to manage a different client's HAProxy load balancing configuration Uh taking down an HAProxy container and replacing it means you've got customers that can't connect. Um, so having a, a sidecar there that manages that is super important.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's definitely, um, you know, a problem there with respect to some configuration is not, doesn't fit well into the immutable pattern, right? So there's this this level of dynamic configuration that, you know, if you're writing that configuration to a database, then that database lives longer than the the runtime that's acting against it. Uh, There's no reason that, you know, you have to be follow an immutable pattern for updating that database, right? Um, You know, you could, you're effectively, what you're doing is you're, you're, You've written a tool to sidestep this uh, immutable workflow to be not immutable, right? If, if Correct me if I'm wrong there, but...
1: Pretty much. Um, I mean, yeah. I had state that I was managing, and once you start to manage state, uh, immutability kind of goes out the window.
3: Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, you, you shouldn't have to build those tools, and those are the kind of situations that, you know, we want to be able to address with, with Cloud Truth, Right helping you get the data that you need, where you need it, uh, the configuration data that you need, where you need it uh, at the time you need it, rather than um, you having to write a tool to do that for you.
1: Exactly. I have I went through the immutable deployment mechanism and that, that didn't work in the situation. Um, Kelsey Hightower's ConfD was another tool we were looking at. Um, that client in general was looking at at how to use and deploy that tool. And it gave you the power to deploy some templates, but that wasn't flexible enough and powerful enough for uh, for Prometheus's configuration.
0: Yeah, if if folks haven't used it, ConfD is a really cool tool. And if it, if it fits your needs, it is fairly well-battle tested at this point, and I highly recommend it. It's an awesome tool. I just had a bigger problem. Yeah. Um, I wanna circle back to something you guys said a little bit ago. You'd mentioned dependency graphs, effectively offhand like when you're looking at loops of things do you have a way of actually detecting and writing out dependency graphs because the number of places that i've worked that have a we're starting from absolute zero we're starting from turning everything off and on again completely and we're rebooting the entire stack i've seen one dependency graph that actually covers everything in 20 plus years of doing this professionally can you actually build those
3: well it depends you know What we're thinking of in terms of a dependency graph is uh, at a a level higher. It's not like all of your say AWS resources, All right? You have Terraform, you have application X, component Y, component Z, and being able to figure out that, you know, this, this configuration gets used by these components. So it's a, it's a lot simpler of a dependency graph. It's more of a high level system dependencies or high level application component dependencies. Uh, than it is an absolute dependency graph of everything in your system it 's a little bit more it's a little it's it's a lot simpler a problem for us, especially since we 're only dealing with configuration inputs and outputs and how those relate uh, between the different in your system uh, but yeah I mean you know
2: dependency graphs are never easy
0: <laughs> no they 're not <laughs> no
2: and, and brendan are are you thinking of something are you familiar with cloud craft Co I have uh, not seen them yet. Uh, it's, it's a visual representation of, a, say, an AWS topology. I'm not sure if that would be something that would be um, helpful in this what you're describing, but it's a very creative um, uh, visualization of how an entire environment is wired up.
0: Yeah, the, the one that I've seen was, was done back before the cloud really was a, a super popular thing. It was all bare metal stuff in two data centers on a university campus. And the assumption was power has gone out to the entire campus to the point that generators have failed and whatever, and we are starting the infrastructure back up. So first, you know, we first you need to bring up the switching infrastructure and the network infrastructure and then validate the DNS and DHCP. And like, but it actually went through the entire stack of what do we need to get the web servers back online and the file servers back online and the user databases running again and all of the other interdependent related pieces and... That is not something you see commonly because it is a really hard problem, and most people don't. Well, they assume that Amazon's never going to go completely down, but you're foolish if you don't understand all the parts of your stack and how to how to turn it back on again if you need to.
2: And there's some aspect of that being dealt with the uh, disaster recovery as a service offerings, DRAS. Uh, so Amazon actually made an acquisition in that space, a company uh, called Cloud Endure, that provided a capability to have a hot standby image of an entire AWS architecture or any cloud architecture they were cross cloud and be able to rehydrate it as needed. So it's not quite what you're describing but it's sort of they were they were having you build these runbooks which would in turn become a order of operations um you know dependent upon the steps dependent upon that step happening successfully, you know, so forth. Ooh, that's it, tasty. In, implicit implicit in the design. Yeah, so there's a number of offerings that are trying to come at it from that perspective.
3: I mean, theoretically, with, with infrastructure as code, you know, it is possible to tear down your entire system and, and recreate it. Uh, but again, that's assuming that you can do everything in, in Terraform, or chances are you can't. But it's also
4: yeah, raise the, your hand if you've tested that.
3: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> You're right? It's
0: frighteningly <laughs> easy to write a circular dependency loop in Terraform. Like oh, it, yeah. all you need to do is three modules each that refer to you know A refers to B, B refers to C, and C refers to A, and individually they test fine, but when you try to actually use them, you can't actually use them.
3: How often do you spin up your entire Terraform infrastructure? Right, the amount exactly. of times I've tried to do that and it's failed. It's it's
0: or you know, somebody says, oh, we're, we're bringing on another copy of that of that elk stack or that that other piece over here, and we're, we're bringing on a new customer for the the on prem deploy or whatever it is. And then, then you test it, but you do that a couple of times a year, and in that, you know, intervening six months, eight months, whatever, things have changed, and people have been adding code, and people have been committing because you know we're all in businesses, we're getting work done, so we can have new features, and we can have, you know, less bugs and all the all the reasons that we write the code. And then suddenly, it's like, oh, now we're going to spend a couple of days debugging why that didn't start up correctly.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's not the kind of thing that's easily testable either, because you know. Some of those resources that you want to spin up take a long time, order of you know tens of minutes, and some of them are really Any expensive.
0: Yeah.
1: So, with the uh, the current events like the COVID pandemic, I'm wondering has that changed people's view for cloud management configuration or f-
2: for cloud configuration management? From from the early uh, kind of, I don't know, put a finger in the air. Um, it feels like the area that we're focused on is somewhat resilient to the economic downturn. Um, not quite sure how much, and it's uh, just added a lot more complexity to our life as we're trying to launch a, a new company in this period of time. Uh, we're very fortunate. We um, raised a, a pre-seed round that was sufficient enough to carry us through into um, the um, latter half of 2021, so we have time to figure it out, but we're operate under a sense of urgency that, you know, the, the previous plan that we were working on up until the middle middle of March, that plan is completely out the window. And um, we've sort of recalibrated around how to identify a set of functionality that can solve a more near-term pain point um, so we can generate revenue uh, earlier in our plan than we were working on a previous uh, sort of scenario where we were planting some more seeds for a bigger swing for the fences kind of play. Um, But from what we can tell with the analyst reports, uh, reports in media, the reports that our investors see from their perspective with the financial industry, the um, budgets for cloud related expenses are are actually increasing faster than expected. And so we kind of feel this, there's a, a rising tide lifts all boats kind of philosophy, but that money won't be shared equally across all the different participants in the market. So it just puts more onus on us to have a more uh, relevant set of functionality that solves a real customer pain point.
0: Yeah, and I, I've seen things in, in the market that seem to reflect that reality that people are either accelerating their cloud transition plans or putting more resources into cloud um, migration stuff instead of trying to, you know, instead of staffing up or increasing presence in physical data centers or the the classic on-prem stuff they're looking more about okay well maybe we really should go to you know a multi-region plan now instead of waiting maybe we really should go for having you know another deployment in you know japan one instead of just being in u.s and europe or those kinds of things so i I can definitely see that there is the possibility for this to be a huge boon for you guys but yeah it's full of risk
3: yeah i mean you know it's I think a lot of people are realizing that a lot more can be virtual uh, than they previously thought could be virtual. And you know the, the, the situation where everybody was forced to be virtual for the last few months, even even as we go back to more of a, a normal society, uh, I think many of the, the things that were taken for granted will no longer be taken for granted that way anymore. People will work from home, um, just more stuff will be virtual in general. And as a result, the companies that have to deal with uh, providing these virtual spaces, they have to scale up. They have to be able to iterate quickly. uh, And, you know, configuration management helps with that. It helps you iterate quicker, safer at scale. And companies are going to have to be able to handle and they'll start looking into how they can improve their cloud configuration management systems to enable themselves to do that. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you guys for joining us. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and kind of talk to us about why this is important to you and kind of what you see the vi- the vision of the future being. Um, a lot of folks who listen to this show have, you know, middling to, middling to advanced knowledge of how configuration management systems work. They've used Puppet, you know, in anger properly, and they've moved on to other tools where they're still using Puppet in, in conjunction with other tools. But the... As the number of tools continuously increases and the complexity grows and the the number of things we're asked to kind of monitor and watch. I mean, when I started my career, it was two people managed five or six servers, and now you have one or two people managing literally hundreds of instances and complex chains of dependencies and all kinds of services, and it's not going to stop. So having tools that can kind of wrangle some of that in is really helpful.
2: Great. We appreciate the opportunity to talk about what we're working on, and we'll definitely be interested in any follow-ups that are possible.
0: Yeah. Please take the time to rate the show on Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows you've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm. Send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm, or use at operations.fm on Twitter please visit our sponsor at
1: 42lines.net and find out more about their visibility and DevOps services.
0: Also, Matt and Greg, I will stick a link into the show notes of whatever you would like me to in terms of um, discoverability or findability stuff for CloudTruth. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Duesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. Thanks, and good night cfg2 back in my b configs day <laughs> sorry jack and i use b config 2 at nc state and it was um special